today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. These verses speak to the measured way in which God deals with His people, especially His people Israel, the Jewish people. There's this measured restraint in the sense that He does not strike them the way He is struck by those who strike Him. He has a different way in which He deals with His people than He does the other nations. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Isaiah. Do you realize that one thing that makes our God different than other religions is His relational nature? As Pastor J.D. teaches today, God responds and deals in a unique way, a measured way, with His children. We don't serve a cookie-cutter God. In today's study, discover how God's great love is on display to Israel. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Isaiah chapter 27 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. In our study through these two chapters, we can both ask and answer the question of whether or not we will stand or fall, especially in this world with everything that's happening in this world today. And the reason being is that woven into the fabric of the chapters that are before us, as with all of Scripture, they point to the person of Jesus Christ. Doubtless you've heard it said that every chapter of every book in the Bible speaks to and points to the person of Jesus Christ. Starting with Genesis 1-1, by the way, uh, in the beginning. And in the creation account, notice, very interesting, very important too, that God doesn't say, let me make man in my image. He says, let us make man in our image. That's the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And starting from Genesis 1-1 all the way through to Revelation chapter 22 at the end of the Bible, it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And such is the case with the two chapters that we have before us here in Isaiah. And specifically, they speak to and focus on, center on, the sure and solid rock foundation upon which our Christian lives are built. And this is what we're going to see sort of embedded in these chapters, specifically chapter 28, as we look at and talk about Christ as the chief cornerstone upon which everything is built. That's what this is about. We'll start with chapter 27. It's actually a continuation of Isaiah's prophecy concerning the tribulation 
and also the coming kingdom age beginning here in verse 1. In that day the Lord with His severe sword, great and strong, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. Leviathan, that twisted serpent, kind of carrying with it the idea of a coiling snake, a hissing snake. And he will slay the reptile that is in the sea. Now it's believed that this is a direct reference to the Antichrist as described in Revelation chapter 13 verse 1. It says, Then I stood, John speaking and writing by the Spirit, on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. This is the Antichrist whom many believe Satan himself will possess. This will be the personification of that old serpent, Satan, Lucifer, as he's referred to in Genesis. Verse 2, in that day, we have another song now that is sung, Sing to her a vineyard of red wine. I, verse 3, the Lord, keep it. I water it every moment, lest any hurt it. I keep it night and day. Fury is not in me. I'm no longer angry. Who would set briars and thorns against me in battle? I would go through them. I would burn them together. Or, verse 5, let him take hold of my strength, that he may make peace with me, and he shall make peace with me. This is a picture of Israel, and it's during the kingdom age when Israel is restored and at peace with God. The whole house of Israel will be saved, the Apostle Paul says in writing to the Romans. Verse 6, those who come he shall cause to take root in Jacob. Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. Now this is in the kingdom age, but interesting, they're already doing that. Can you imagine? Uh, It's a well-known fact that Israel today is one of the largest exporters of fruit to the world, even now. And this is speaking of what Israel will do and be during the kingdom age. Verse 7, has he struck Israel as he struck those who struck him? No. Or has he been slain according to the slaughter of those who were slain by him? No, these are rhetorical questions. And verse 8 is interesting. In measure, by sending it away, you contended with it. He removes it by his rough wind in the day of the east wind. Okay, (laughs) let's... um, kind of roll up our arm sleeves, so to speak, and work through this in our own understanding of this. 
These verses speak to the measured way in which God deals with His people, especially His people Israel, the Jewish people. There's this measured restraint in the sense that He does not strike them the way He is struck by those who strike Him. He has a different way in which He deals with His people than He does the other nations. And that's what He's saying here. And it's a measured response. And we're actually going to see this again at the end of chapter 28, verse 9. Therefore, by this the iniquity of Jacob will be covered. And this is all the fruit of taking away his sin, speaking of Israel, when he makes all the stones of the altar like chalk stones that are beaten to dust, wooden images and incense altars shall not stand. Yet, verse 10, the fortified city will be desolate. This is the world system. The habitation forsaken and left like a wilderness. There the calf will feed, and there it will lie down and consume its branches. When its bows, verse 11, are withered, they will be broken off. The women come and set them on fire, for it is a people of no understanding. Therefore, He who made them will not have mercy on them, and he who formed them will show them no favor. Again, speaking of these fortified cities that God will show no mercy to. Verse 12, And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will thresh from the channel of the river to the brook of Egypt, and you will be gathered one by one, O you children of Israel. Again, this speaks to this yet future, this prophecy concerning the restoration of Israel, because of God's great love for Israel and His mercy on Israel. This is not very popular today when it comes to Israel. There is a false teaching that is gaining traction in the church today known as replacement theology, which comes packaged with this, I'm going to just say it, demonic doctrine, doctrine of devils, that God is through with the Jew. Well, here's the thing, and you've heard me say it before, I won't put you through it. I know a lot of you are traumatized by it when I go into that whole rap, but truth be made known, we don't want God to be through with the Jew, because He has a covenant with me and you too. And if God is through with the Jew, then may I just humbly ask you, how secure are you? just saying. No, the Bible says God has an everlasting covenant with the Jew. You know what everlasting means, right? <laughs> I know deeply profound. 
but it means it lasts forever. You know how long forever is? Again, very deeply profound. It's forever. He has an everlasting covenant with the Jew. And he is not through with the Jew. He has a plan for his people, the Jewish people. In fact, that's what the whole seven year tribulation is about. Once he removes the church, he shifts the entirety of the focus of his attention on Israel. During this 70th week of Daniel, as it's referred to, aka the time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob, Israel, Israel's trouble. And again, I won't traumatize you with the rap, but the purpose of the trip, of course I'm doing it right now, but (laughs) the purpose, okay I'll do it differently then, fine. The purpose of the tribulation is for the salvation of the Jewish nation. All right, are we good? You good? Okay. What are you going to say? No, I'm not? We'll see you afterwards. We'll lay hands on you in Jesus' name. (laughs) Verse 13, So it shall be in that day the great trumpet will be blown. They will come who are about to perish in the land, listen now, of Assyria, and they who are outcasts in the land of Egypt, and get this, shall worship the Lord in the holy mount at Jerusalem. Do you remember when we were in Isaiah chapter 20, and actually 19 as well, concerning Egypt specifically? But it is a prophecy about during the kingdom age, Egypt, the Arab people, my people, (laughs) the Assyrians, they are all going to worship the Lord together in Jerusalem during the kingdom age. Did you hear that? He calls in Isaiah chapter 19, the Egyptians, my people. Let me just say that again. (laughs) The Egyptians are God's people. Wait, I thought the Jews were God's people. No, in the kingdom age. He calls the Egyptians my people. The Assyrians, the Jews, his inheritance. In other words, all of these people. And it's reminiscent of ever so magnificently, if I can say it like that, what we're told in the book of Revelation about how every tribe, every tongue, every nation. I mean, this whole thing, you've heard I'm sure about critical race theory. I'm not going to ask you that question again, so we'll just leave it at that. I'll tell you what, I like how one said it. It's not a skin issue, It's a sin issue. And we're told that during the kingdom age, and certainly for eternity future in the new heavens and the new earth, every tribe, every nationality, every skin color, 
every nation, every people group will be worshiping the Lord together. You know, it's not about the race, what race you are. Last time I checked, we're all part of the human race, right? And if I'm not mistaken, and I don't mean to belabor it, we'll get to chapter 28 in a moment, but if I'm not mistaken, in Christ there's no distinction, there's no delineation between Jew or Greek or Arab or Hawaiian or Portuguese or Vietnamese or Chinese or all the E's. <laughs> in Christ there's no distinction. Or in Christ doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's another topic for another time. For those of you, I will say this real quick, lastly, before we move on to chapter 28, that are unfamiliar with what critical race theory is, you might want to look into it. Oh, it is, it is, I, I can't even think of the word. Well, I can think of a word, but I would never speak it, certainly from the pulpit, but to describe it. Well, it's, it's demonic. Uh, there, there. I mean, that's, the, that's probably the best way to describe it. It's from the pit of hell. It's from the pit of hell. And by the way, ah, <laughs> Satan has succeeded in large measure to get us to destroy one another so he can take the rest of the day off. We do his job for him and instead of him. And as Christians, as the church, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. He can do nothing to us. You've heard that expression, you can't beat him, join him. That's what he did. He can't do it from without, so He does it from within. And it's very subtle and insidious, because then He gets churches going against each other. He gets pastors putting YouTube videos up, attacking other pastors. And you know what then happens? And it is happening, and it's so heartbreaking. But then all of a sudden now you've got churches that are saying, yeah, it's systemic. This racial problem is systemic. And now all of a sudden you go to that church and what you'll find in that church are either all black people or all white people. Because the color of your skin is different than mine. And this whole white thing, I'm, I'm doing the very thing I said I wouldn't do. Chapter 28. <laughs> Jesus is coming, man. When you see these things begin to come to pass, Jesus is coming. It's getting so bad so fast. Woe, verse 1. Woe meaning... <laughs> curse. You know, woe is not like we understand woe, like whoa. <laughs> no, this is, this is a curse. 
to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which is at the head of the verdant valleys, to those who are overcome with wine. Wow. Now, this is a prophecy concerning both southern Judah and northern Israel, starting with northern Israel, which was another name for the prominent tribe of Ephraim. And this is a prophecy that is pronounced and declared by the prophet Isaiah, starting with the northern tribes of Israel. Verse 2, Behold, the Lord has a mighty and strong one, like a tempest of hail, and a destroying storm, like a flood of mighty waters overflowing, who will bring them down to the earth with His hand. The crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim, will be trampled underfoot. And, verse 4, the glorious beauty is a fading flower which is at the head of the verdant valley, like the first fruit before the summer, which an observer sees. He eats it up while it is still in his hand. A lot of imagery here. He's painting a prophetic picture on the canvas of this curse upon them. And it seems that in their drunkenness and pride, they chose to place their trust in the Egyptians to protect them from the Assyrians, instead of putting their trust in the Lord. Verse 5, in that day the Lord of hosts will be for a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of His people. For, verse 6, a spirit of justice to Him who sits in judgment, and for strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. But, verse 7, they also have erred through wine, and through intoxicating drink are out of the way. Listen to this, the priest and the prophet have erred through intoxicating drink. They are swallowed up by wine. They are out of the way through intoxicating drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. For all tables, and this is graphic, are full of vomit and filth. No place is clean. This is a again, graphic description of what was happening there in northern Israel. It seems that the priests were all drunkards. They were all intoxicated all the time, swallowed up by the wine. And clearly, this is an explicit indictment on drunkenness. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. 
The book of Isaiah is an interesting one, as the prophet Isaiah spoke things that God wanted the people of Israel to hear, but they just wouldn't listen. Little did they know that much of what Isaiah spoke had bigger significance than they could have imagined. From beginning to end, the book of Isaiah touches on Jesus Christ coming later on. It refers to the announcement of his coming, his birth, his good news of salvation, his death, and his return to claim his own. Wow, what an incredible insight into the future. Sometimes things are plain right before our eyes, and we just aren't willing to see it for what it is. Although the people were ignorant in that present time, God used Isaiah to speak to them anyway and to proclaim the good news that was to come. Do you know of this good news? If not, we'd like you to check out calvarychapelkaneohe.com and head over to the resources page. There you'll find the ABCs of salvation, which goes into a step-by-step understanding of the good news of Jesus. If you're in the Kaneohe area, you're always welcome to join us on Sundays or Thursdays at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We meet for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find service times, directions, and more at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. Until we meet again, we encourage you to dive deep into God's Word and to look for more things God wants to teach you in this book of Isaiah. Looking forward to next time here on In Spirit and Truth.